The word of the Lord, Proverbs 24, beginning in verse 11. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come and talk about something as weighty as we need to talk about this morning, I pray, Father, that you would give us ears to hear and give me a word, a mouth to speak. We want to follow what your word says about life, about human value and dignity. And we also want to follow what your word says about our responsibility in light of those truths. So God, I pray that you do a work in my heart this morning and in all everyone's heart here that's here this morning that we might not leave here the same as when we came in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When, um, when you were a kid, when I was a kid, you probably like me, you, you had a favorite superhero, didn't you? Um, you know, maybe it was Superman or Iron Man. Mine was, mine was Batman. Not Robin, just Batman. He was my, my superhero, my, my favorite. I, I loved watching Batman cartoons or anything related to Batman. Or maybe it wasn't a superhero. Maybe you didn't have a, a superhero when you were a kid, but there were other stories you read that had certain heroes in it or TV shows you watched. Maybe, maybe Luke Skywalker was your hero. Maybe the A-Team or um, MacGyver. You always like a hero that can use duct tape well. Heroes. We, we have them in our books. We have them in our movies. And we cheer for the heroes. We cheer for those who are rescuing the weak, rescuing those who are being unjustly dealt with and, and, and dealing with the bad guys. Why do we love it? Why do we, why do we cheer for the good guys? Why do we like having heroes? Well, it's because every person in his or her heart is hardwired to want to see those who are unjustly heading to death or peril saved, rescued. And the more helpless the victim, the more we're, we're stirred to, to cheer for the hero who sweeps in to save the day. We would consider someone sick in the mind who, who desired to see the bad guys win in all the movies. Or someone who would derive great joy from seeing helpless victims destroyed or seeing innocents killed in a, in a story or in a movie. But it's reflected in real life as well, isn't it? Collectively, as a society... We were outraged and horrified as a gunman walked into a school, an elementary school of helpless children, and randomly began to kill them. Conversely, we celebrated the heroes from that news story. The janitor who went door to door warning the teachers that, that there's a gunman on the loose and locking the doors behind her. We celebrate the teacher who hid her kids in a small closet but couldn't get in there herself. And when the gunman came and asked where the children were, she said there was nobody in the room. She was the last one he killed before he killed himself. We celebrate people who rescue the helpless. That sense of right and wrong is written on the conscience of all men 
telling us what to do. But there's one story that began to be written on a national scale in 1973. It's a story where many, many, many of the innocent and the most vulnerable have not been rescued. It's a story where many, many, many of the helpless and weak were never protected. It's a story where evil has won over and over and over again. 54 million times there was a bad ending to the story. No happy ending. But this story has largely been ignored. Many refuse to hear it. Many refuse to see it. And many refuse to believe it. And worse, many cheer it on. Of course, you know I'm speaking of the story of abortion. And it's the story we find ourselves right in the middle of. Our passage today, Proverbs 24, 11 and 12, is from a section of the book of Proverbs called 30 Wise Words of the Wise, or 30 Wise Sayings of the Wise. It's divided into 30 sayings, obviously. And the passage we're looking at today is the 25th of those wise sayings. So it's short, and therefore I want to read it again. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. And the next verse is still part of that same saying. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? And there's two main points today that I want to drive home from this passage. Just two two points. Let me bring up the first one. When human life is being unjustly destroyed, God's people have a moral obligation to come to the rescue. When human life is being unjustly destroyed, destroyed, God's people have a moral obligation, a duty to come to the rescue. The scriptures tell God's people to rescue those who are being taken away to death, hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. This is our call. God's people are to be the rescuers in this tragic tale. We are to be the rescuers of those being taken away. The text here is clear that this is not something being done willfully by the one heading to the death. Instead, he or she is being forced or taken forcibly. So there is one who has power who is taking another who is powerless toward death. And the themes and the, the context of the whole book of Proverbs leaves us no doubt here that this is a call to defend the helpless, the vulnerable, the weak, the innocent. This is innocent life that is being driven toward destruction. The word stumbling here can also mean sliding or slipping. So the image we are to have in our minds here as we read stumbling to the slaughter is of a helpless, vulnerable, weak person being dragged or being shoved into the slaughter. That's the picture that we are to have in our mind. When that is happening, when the weak are being taken away to death. God's people are obligated to act. God's people are obligated to rescue. It is not optional. For those who claim to be God's people, it's our calling, our obligation, our duty. Every good superhero movie, and 
there's been a lot of good superhero movies that have come out in the last 10 years or so, but every one of them has sort of a similar moment in the movie where the superhero sort of has a crisis of identity. He recognizes that he has all these, these gifts that he's been blessed with. He recognizes that he's different than the rest of the world. And he has to make a decision. Am I going to use what I have for the good of mankind? Or am I just going to be quiet and keep to myself? And, and in every one of the movies, there, there comes this moment of crisis. And of course, in the good superhero movies, he always makes the right decision and begins to serve humanity. And I would say that Christians, we have the, the same dilemma we, we have been given new life. We have been given the Holy Spirit. And we have no option but to step out and come to the rescue of those who are being led away to the slaughter. But why? What's our, what's our motivation here? Is it the good of humanity like the superheroes in the movies? Well, sort of. Let me just take us to Genesis 1.27. Here's the reason. One verse. Here's the reason. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's it. That's our biblical reason. It, every, every reason to defend the weak stands on that verse. If you do not believe Genesis 1.27, you will not oppose abortion for the right reasons. Here's why. Because Genesis 1.27 teaches us that killing a person is not only an attack against the person, it's a vicious attack against God himself. We must see from Genesis 1.27 that abortion attacks God's role as creator. Genesis 1.27 states that man is God's special creation. Now that alone should give someone pause before even considering abortion. Even if one thinks that the baby in the womb is just a potential person, which I believe a lot of people in our society do think and believe that it's just a potential person, even if you think that he or she is just a potential person, to carry out an abortion is to destroy the creative process God has put in place. What is, what is happening in the womb is God's unique person-forming work. Abortion is an assault on God's creator rights as king of the universe. It's his right, his prerogative to bring an eternal soul into existence. And the Bible teaches that the person becomes a person at conception. Thus, abortion is more than interfering with God's creative process. It's the destruction of human life. Secondly, we can see from Genesis 1.27 that abortion is an attack on God's glory. It's an attack on God's role as creator, but it's an attack on God's glory. To attack the human being in the womb and kill him or her is a direct assault on God and his glory. Man is uniquely, uniquely created to image forth God's glory. God is weaving together in the womb a unique image of his divine glory with the purpose of that person imaging forth his glory in the world. And killing that child is an attack on God's glory and it's treason against the ruler of the universe. It's really that simple. God is glorified in all human life. We've talked about how 
even though man has fallen, we talked about this several times, even though man has fallen, and thus the image of God and man has been marred and distorted, it has not been destroyed. Thus all men, as fallen and depraved as we are, image forth God to some degree, and thus to unjustly, unjustly destroy any human life is to assault God himself. Abortion is an attack on God. It is an attack on children, helpless children, but even more serious is, is, is that it's an attack on God. Human life bears the image of God. Not, not beginning at birth, but at the moment it's created, it images forth God. Therefore, God says that the destruction of human life is a serious crime. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For, so here's the basis for what God just said about blood being shed. For, God made man in his own image. Genesis 9, 6. So God takes his image seriously. By the way, that, that, that's the difference between some people try to muddy the waters, sometimes accidentally, by, by saying, well, if you're against abortion, you should be against capital punishment. Well, some people are against capital punishment that are against abortion. Okay? But, but I believe the scriptures here in Genesis 9-6 make it a very clear distinction. When capital punishment is enforced, it is because... God's image has been marred. His life has been taken. Therefore, God requires the life of the person to be taken. It's different than abortion. There's a difference here. Matter of fact, it's God's glory and his image that drives both capital punishment in the scriptures and the protection of the unborn. So when someone says, well, if you're pro-life, you can't be against the death penalty. No, actually... Many people, myself included, are for the death penalty because I'm pro-life. So God's people are called to defend the weak, the vulnerable, the innocent. By innocent, the Bible refers to blood that, that no man has a right to shed. God has the right to give and to take life, but man does not. And man cannot arbitrarily and unjustly take the life of other human beings. Innocence in the scriptures also refers to children who are, who are not yet old enough to know right from wrong. When I use the word innocent, I'm in no way denying the doctrine of total depravity. Scripture is so clear that all men are born with a sinful nature and under the guilt of Adam and therefore are born under God's just condemnation. But the Bible speaks of the helpless, the vulnerable, and the innocent whom we are called to protect and to defend. And yes... To rescue. Someone once said to me that the doctrine of total depravity cheapens human life. You're going out there talking about how bad we are, how bad humans are. Well, that cheapens human life. Actually, the opposite is true. You see, the doctrine carries in it a very high view of human life in that it recognizes that the purpose of human life is to glorify God. And in recognizing such... It allows us to see how far man has fallen from that purpose. For we know that God is worthy of a perfect reflection of his glory. Yet mankind cannot offer that perfect reflection because man is born a sinner and depraved. We believe that man is meant to be so much more. And so the doctrine of total depravity actually declares that man is much more valuable than we could ever know because we were created for so much more glory than we could ever give due to our sin. 
And thus, it is due to our sinful condition and total depravity that we are in need of total restoration. Total redemption and not just some fixing up. Man was created to radiate forth the glory of God and without being made new in Christ, we cannot do it. Total depravity declares that man's purpose is glorious. Thus, when we are born again, we receive a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It is because we take human value so seriously that we take human sin so seriously. The doctrine of total depravity doesn't cheapen human life. We oppose abortion because we do have a high view of man's value and an even higher view of God and his glory. It is materialistic evolution that leads to the conclusion that life can be discarded. Evolution has nothing in its philosophical framework to protect the unborn. Evolution doesn't say rescue the innocent. It preaches survival of the fittest. It doesn't say defend the weak. It preaches let the weak die off. It was humanistic, materialistic evolution that led Hitler in his drive to create a perfect human race to destroy the lives that he saw as unfit, weak, not valuable and detrimental to society. Hitler's Nazi Germany had a massive race-driven program of forced abortions. It fit hand in glove with his philosophy. It's evolutionary thought that led the founder of Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger, it led her to say these things. Margaret Sanger said that immigrants and those of African descent were human weeds Reckless breeders spawning human beings that never should have been allowed to be born. Those are the words of Margaret Sanger. Her aim by promoting all types of birth control and specifically abortion was to, in her words, create a race of thoroughbreds and exterminate the Negro population. Those were her words. She also said the most merciful thing, listen to this, the most merciful thing a large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. This is the founder of Planned Parenthood and one of the most celebrated feminists of the last century. You can look up these quotes. You can find them yourself. This is the root of abortion, materialistic evolution that decides who lives and who doesn't. It's an attack on man and it's an attack on the creator. Lest you think that these views died off in World War II or after all the Nazi atrocities or, or died off with early 20th century philosophy, listen to political talk show host and major political donor to our current president's campaign, Bill Maher. He says this, quote, My motto is, let's kill the right people. I'm pro-choice. I'm pro-assisted suicide. I'm pro-regular suicide. I am for whatever gets the freeway moving. That's what I'm for. Bill Maher goes on. It's too crowded. The planet is too crowded and we need to promote death. Explaining the fact that he knew many people in the political establishment and many people that, were, that ran in his circles felt the same way. He went on to say that we have the right to kill people who've earned it, who deserve to die. Remarking that all we need to do is kill the right people. 
Materialistic evolution inevitably produces a culture of death. And who is it that gets to decide the right people to kill? Bill Maher? Congress? The president? The Bible puts the decisions regarding life and death in only one set of hands. God's. God's people are obligated to rescue the weak, the innocent, the vulnerable, for they indeed are being led to the slaughter. The word slaughter here should, should stun us because that's exactly what it is. It's a slaughter that's happening in our nation. Don't try to hide from that word. Don't try to lessen the language of Scripture. Don't try to lessen what's happening in our society. That's, that's what many people are trying to do, which leads to my second point. When human life is being unjustly destroyed, God's people not only have a moral obligation to come to the rescue, but secondly, God's people have no moral foundation to claim ignorance. If you say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? You ever had this experience? You're eating something, I don't know, say like a hot dog, and you turn over the package, and you begin to read the ingredients, and you begin to read them out loud, and your wife says, stop, I don't want to know what's in it. Don't, don't tell me. I'll be sick if I read anymore. I know that's kind of humorous, but friends, it's time to turn over the label and really look at what abortion is. My friends, we cannot play along with a culture that ignores what abortion really is. We live in a culture of lies and deceit. Satan is the father of lies and a murderer from the very beginning. And he's tried to cloak the slaughter of the innocents. He's cloaked it with language like freedom, rights, choice, women's health. But no matter how it's packaged and how pretty a bow is put on it, when you tear back the thin layer of rhetoric, you have death, you have killing, you have murder, you have the taking of innocent life. The very nature of the fact that a baby is hidden in her mother's womb for, for nine months makes it a very convenient victim for society to ignore. These children are hidden. They're out of sight. And the abortions are done in clinics, out of sight. We don't want anybody reading the label lest we get sick. I don't want to know. Christian, it's time to stop playing the innocent, ignorant card. Well, I had no idea. It doesn't carry any water with an almighty God who can weigh the heart. God knows our motives. God knows our awareness. And God has hardwired every human heart with a conscience that testifies to the fact that killing a child in its mother's womb is wrong. Well, how do we know it's a baby? That's what some people will ask. To which I say, don't claim such foolish ignorance. Really? I don't think that exists. People may say that they don't know if it's a baby, and I think people in their heart know. They can try to put a cloak over the carnage and call children blobs of tissue. It's just a fetus, just an embryo, just a blob of tissue, or whatever else you want to call it. Don't buy into society's attempt to cheapen life. I remember a scene from 
the movie National Treasure, where um, Nicolas Cage and whoever the actress is in the movie, they have, they have borrowed the uh, Declaration of Independence. And they're trying to find a hidden map on the back of it. So if you haven't seen the movie, that should intrigue you enough right there. But the, the father of the Nicolas Cage character, who I believe is played by John Voight, is watching them as they try to do this. He has no idea what document that they're dealing with. As far as he knows, it's just an old scrap of paper. And, and he comes up and says, what is this anyway? And he grabs the document kind of harshly and begins to look at it. And they all go, <gasps> and, that's, and all of a sudden he realizes that what they have in their hand is the Declaration of Independence. And he, he drops it. All of a sudden, it went from a scrap of paper to something of great value. Just like that. You see, that's what we've got to do, church. We've got to help the world. See, it is not a blob of tissue. It is a child. It is not a scrap to be tossed away. It's of immense value. It has, it has the Creator's signature on it. Science won't let us off the hook. You saw the video. I can go over the science with you later. What do, we, what, do, what, do, what do nurses and doctors call it when someone's brought in the ER? What do they do? They check the what? The vital signs. What are the vital signs? Heartbeat, brain waves. And if the vital signs aren't there, are there more vital signs? Okay, thank you, nurse. I'm sticking with that for right now. If those are not there, the person has passed away. But if they're there, if the vital signs are there, the doctors and nurses don't walk away and say, oh, well, he doesn't look like much of a person anyway. He's been in a horrible accident. He's all mangled. just like a blob of tissue, but he's got a heartbeat. He's got brainwaves. Ah, leave him. No, they fight for the life. They know life is there. And so, too, in the womb, heartbeat, brainwaves, vital signs, all the signs of life are present. Even from the moment of conception, the biological definition of life has begun. You won't find a single biology book in a single high school that says that life doesn't begin at conception. Science won't let us off the hook. Neither will your conscience, your conscience, let you off the hook. The human heart, as I said earlier, is wired by God to know the truth about a child in the womb. Now, I'll grant you that perhaps a large portion of the people who advocate abortion in our society do not believe that what's in the womb is actually a child, but they believe it despite their conscience. Despite their conscience. How do we know? Well, when a couple miscarries a child, what do they say? We lost our baby. They don't say we lost our blob, we lost our baby. And they're heartbroken over it. So does the fact that one mom doesn't want the baby and these parents did want the baby, does it change the personhood of the baby? In our human heart, we know it's a baby. We lost our baby. When a child is stillborn, they call it a stillborn child, not a stillborn potential human. It's a stillborn child. Men and women know that what's growing inside the mother's womb is not a potential human, but a human being. Our laws even acknowledge this. Almost every state has on the books laws that if someone violently attacks a woman and the child, a pregnant woman, and the child dies as a result, he will be charged for manslaughter 
if that child dies. No matter what stage of pregnancy. If the, if the mom loses the pregnancy, he's charged with not blob slaughter, man slaughter. It's funny, the only exception to those laws is when mom willfully wants to do it herself. That's the exception to the manslaughter laws that are on the books in almost every state. But finally and most authoritatively, Scripture won't let us off the hook. The Bible speaks of personhood extending all the way back to the moment of conception. Psalm 139 says, For you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me. These are personal pronouns. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. The Bible refers to the unborn as children. Genesis 25, 22 says the children struggled together within her. This is referring to uh, Jacob and Esau in, in their mother's womb. It's, it, the Bible calls them children. And by the way, the Hebrew did have a word for embryo. Moses doesn't use that word. He uses children. The children struggle within her. Luke 141. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. This is the word brephos, which actually is the same exact word used to describe baby Jesus just a little bit later as he's lying in the manger in swaddling clothes. Same word. Used to refer to John the Baptist in Mary's, I mean in Elizabeth's womb and Jesus in a manger. Same word. The Bible never refers to the unborn as anything other than children. And not a special category of children, just children. The Bible describes human emotion to the unborn child. Luke 144, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blobs of tissue cannot experience joy, only persons can. The Bible ascribes purpose to unborn children. Isaiah 49, 5, And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. Blobs of tissue cannot be set apart for a purpose, only persons can. The Bible speaks of God having a personal relationship with, even with individuals in the womb. Jeremiah 1, 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That word know refers to personal, intimate knowledge. I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. Blobs of tissue can't be known personally. Only persons can. The Bible speaks of the spiritual capacity in the womb. Luke 1.15, the angel speaking to Zechariah said that his son who would be born, John the Baptist, it said he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Blobs of tissue can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. Only persons can. The Bible ascribes moral agency to the unborn. David speaking in Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Blobs of tissue cannot inherit iniquity. Only persons can. My friends, abortion is what it is. The taking of a human life created in the image of God. But we live in a world of denial. The world at large, as well as many Christians, refuse to consider the facts, refuse to look at the pictures, refuse to process the statistics, refuse to consider the scientific data, refuse to listen to the testimonies, refuse to see the mental and physical ramifications that abortion has had on women. And the church says, oh, obviously we know that we're not called to take part in the evil of this world. Ephesians 5.1, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. But church, we've been called to more than that. Because that verse doesn't end right there. It does say, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. But then it says, but instead expose them. 
That's what it means to be salt and light. Christians are to be light shining into a dark world, exposing sin and evil. It's our job to read the label. It's our job to do what Emmett Till's grandmother did. Does anybody know the story of Emmett Till? Matter of fact, Emmett Till's life and death were probably more influential on the civil rights movement than any other figure outside of Martin Luther King. Emmett Till was a young man from Chicago, 14 years old. Went down to Mississippi to visit some relatives. And when he was in Mississippi, he made one mistake. He went into a little dollar store to buy some candy. And when he was in the store, he made the mistake of chit-chatting with the white woman who was also a patron in the store. Now, we don't know what all he was chit-chatting about, but it was enough to make the white men who were watching him very angry. He had no right to be talking to that white woman. Later that night, Emmett Till was kidnapped from his relative's home and was taken and was severely beaten and was lynched. But not just lynched. He was lynched with barbed wire. The authorities found his body laying in a ditch and he was taken back to Chicago. And when it came time for the funeral, and you can look all this up online and you can see the pictures. His mother insisted on having an open casket funeral. And the, and the pictures are gruesome. It, it hardly looks human, what was done to this child. And people were saying, why are you doing this? Why are you having an open casket funeral? She said, the world has to see what's going on down there. They have to see what's happened to my baby. She said, I'm going to open the casket on this problem. It's time for the church to open the casket on this problem. The world needs to see. God will not accept the excuses put forth by the German people. An excuse that we use today. Well, he didn't know what was going on. We do know what's going on. Hear the truth that 3,700 children a day die by means of abortion in the United States alone. 3,700, that's more than 9-11. Our country experiences a 9-11 every single day. That's one child every 24 seconds. There are 1.5 million abortions in the U.S. alone every year. One third of all women in the United States now, it's estimated, have had an abortion. 41% of all pregnancies in New York City, 41% of all pregnancies in New York City end in abortion. 50 million abortions are performed yearly worldwide. And the reason given for 90% of the abortions is that the child is simply unwanted. 85% of the moms who choose abortion are unmarried. So overall... 54 million have died. I want to bring up a map of the United States of America. And I did this map two years ago, so it really needs to be updated. 
54 million. If we were to have a catastrophic event that wiped out 54 million people in America, let me show you how many states would cease to exist. You take the population of those states, add them together, and actually you need to add Oregon now. Like I said, I haven't updated it in a couple of years. You take the population of all those states, that's how many children have been aborted. So imagine in a day, boom, a big hole being blown in the center of our nation. Where is our grief over this? Where's our prayer? Where's our fasting? Where's our repentance? It's time to open up the casket. It's time to expose. It's time to rescue those being led away to the slaughter. It's way past time. So how? What do I do? First of all, prayer and fasting. We should all be praying and fasting over this tragedy in America. You need to learn to argue the pro-life position. Ready yourself to make a defense for life. You need to make your voice heard publicly, privately, and also to your politicians. And then you need to vote accordingly. Don't be afraid to open the casket. People need to see the horror. Take them to websites like Abort 73 and show people the video that's on the front of that page. Support life-affirming ministries, such as ministries like adoption, orphan care. The more Christians will support those ministries, the more we'll see abortion not being an option. Support our local pregnancy resource center, which, which I'm proud to say is part of our Gwinnett Metro Baptist Association. Support them financially. Support them with your time. They need volunteers. Last year, through our pregnancy resource center of Gwinnett County, 78 babies were saved. That's, that's something to celebrate, but it's not nearly enough. But we can praise God that 78 children were saved through our Gwinnett Metro Baptist Association's Pregnancy Resource Center. Well, let me say some other things you can do. You can be praying and sharing the gospel outside of abortion providers. It's not hard to find. You got a, you got a computer, you can find the abortion providers in our county and beyond. Share the gospel with them. And that's what it comes down to. Perhaps the greatest way we can fight against abortion is simply to share the gospel, period. Share the gospel. That's because the church must bring a more hopeful message than just protect innocent babies. That's not a good enough message. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what our nation needs. As already mentioned today, we are to save human lives because human life glorifies God. But human life only fully glorifies God when physical life is enjoined to spiritual life and people come into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, the gospel must always be the driving force behind what we do. This wise saying of Proverbs 24, 11 through 12, it ends with this. Will he not repay man according to his work? And the answer, it's a rhetorical question, the answer is yes, he will. And the wicked will receive their just recompense. I do believe that, that, that there are levels of punishment in hell. One doctor boasted last week in an article to the Washington Post that he had performed over 50,000 abortions in his lifetime. 
That man should be fearing. He should fear the one who has the power to cast his soul into hell. For the scriptures are clear that God will repay man according to his work. But, but honestly, all men have worked evil, haven't we? Not all men are as evil as they can be. God's restraining grace has kept most men and women from the horrendous evils that we are capable of. But all men have sinned and fallen woefully short of the glory of God. So perhaps you're here and you're you're breathing a sigh of relief that you're not the man who killed 50,000 babies. And you're glad you, you don't have to face the righteous judge of the earth with that on your record. But my friends, you have enough on your record to condemn you to hell. Don't rest on your goodness. Jesus said if you've hated another person, you're liable to the judgment just as much as a murderer is. Jesus said if you looked at a woman with lustful intent, you're as liable to judgment as, as an adulterer is. Jesus doesn't let anyone off the hook. No, you may not be Hitler or Pol Pot or Saddam Hussein or Son of Sam or Jeffrey Dahmer or Dr. Whoever this was in this article, so on and so on and so on. And you can compare yourself to anyone else you want to in the world, but you are a sinner. We all are. And we will all face judgment for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The glory of the cross is this, that the gift of God is eternal life for those who repent of their sin and believe. There is no sin so horrendous that the cross of Christ is not sufficient to deal with. Including the doctor who killed 50,000. If he will repent and fall on his face before the king of the universe, turn to Christ alone for salvation, he will be forgiven. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning feeling great guilt over abortion. My intent isn't to cause people to feel guilty. It's to just read the label. Perhaps you've had one or two. Perhaps you're a boyfriend who encouraged a young lady to have one or two or more. Perhaps you're a parent or a grandparent who pressured a child into having one. Or perhaps you were a confidant and a friend who encouraged someone to have one. Or perhaps you're just like many people who have tried to bury your head in the sand and ignore the silent holocaust that's happening in America. The guilt you feel, we feel, is justified. It is meant to drive you to Christ, the only one who can forgive your sin and cleanse you and put his spirit within you and begin to heal you. Friends, there is nothing heavenly in us, nothing inherently noble in us that makes us rescuers. No, we rescue because we've been rescued. The only way we can truly be defenders of life is if we've been given new life. I want to close this morning differently than we've ever closed before. There's sometimes when you sing after a sermon and there's other times when you just don't need to I want to close with a sound though I want you to listen to the lives of those who were never rescued and then I want to have a time of prayer and we'll close with prayer go ahead and play the video guys right where you are 
I just want you to, right there in your seats, just shut your eyes. What you're about to hear are the sounds of metal BBs striking the side of a tin can. For every BB that strikes, it represents 10,000 lives lost in the wars of America's past. 10,000 lives for every BB. This is the reality of what is occurring in your country. The American Revolution. The Civil War. World War One. World War Two. The Korean Conflict. The Conflict in Vietnam. September 11th and the War on Terror. Since 1973, the with prayer please close your eyes and bow your heads if you're not already for the next 54 seconds one second representing each of the million babies that have been slaughtered and let me remind you that that does not include that's only abortions that have been performed it doesn't include children that have died by means of the morning after pill, or other abortifacient medicines. For the next 54 seconds, let us just, as a church, as the body of Christ, repent before our God, and then we'll close with prayer. Have mercy on us. How a nation that so often and so offhandedly claims to be a Christian nation, how a nation 
like ours, can lead the way in the slaughter of the innocents is beyond our comprehension. Oh Lord, forgive us of our sin. There's not a single person in here that has clean hands. This has gone on during our watch. We are the watchmen on the wall, Lord. And when we come to that judgment seat, we will be asked what we did with our time. Have we redeemed the days? So, Father, please forgive us of our sin. Lord, help us. Grant us the grace. The, the proverb right before that speaks of how, how weak we are. We need your strength. Only the strength of Christ that comes to the Holy Spirit that residing in those whom he's saved can, Lord, can lead our nation out of this mess. So God, I pray that the church would stop sticking its head in the sand. That we would be vocal, vocal to our family members, vocal to our friends. Lord, and as, as you lead in each one of our different lives as to how we can be involved, whether it be supporting the Pregnancy Resource Center, whether it be just going and praying outside of these clinics, whatever it might be, Lord, I beg you, Lord, to not let us just remain as we are today. Forgive us of our sin. And Lord, I pray now that you would do a work in our hearts a very real work. I, I don't want this, Lord. I really beg you, Lord. I don't want this to be just raw emotion. Father, I know this wasn't an easy message for many to hear. So God, I just pray, Father, for your forgiveness of any ways that I have stood in the way of the truth. If my means of delivery, manner of delivery was, Lord, if it was just totally wrong, I beg you, Lord, just make sure the truth goes forward. Just make sure the truth goes forward. So God, forgive us of our sin. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, put us on a path where we not only refuse to partake of the works of evil in this world, but, it's, but also that we're willing to stand up and expose it and stand up to a government that says you can't do that and say it is better for us to obey you, God, than to obey man. Oh, Lord, don't let us fear men. Let us fear you, the one who has the power to cast a soul into hell. Forgive us of our sin. We ask this in the name of Jesus, the only reason we can ask for our sins to be forgiven. The name of Jesus, the one who can bring healing to a nation... And it begins with healing to individuals, rebels. And Lord, I, my prayer, if there be anyone in here who has not been reconciled to you through the blood of Christ, that they wouldn't leave here today without talking to someone about that. That's my prayer. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.